Good morning, this is David Bennett, and this is Bitcoin And, a podcast where I try to find the edge effect between the worlds of Bitcoin, gaming, permaculture, podcasting, and education to gain a better understanding of all. Edge effect is a concept from ecology describing a greater diversity of life where the edges of two systems overlap. While species from either system can be found at the edge, it is important to note there are species in the overlap that exist in neither system, and that is what I seek to uncover. So join me in discovering the variety of things being created as Bitcoin rubs up against other systems. It is 9 o'clock a.m. Pacific Daylight Time. It is, what, the 25th day of Frighttober 2023, and this is episode 814 of Bitcoin. And uh, Circle P is open for business this time, something quite different. Uh, somebody got a hold of me on Noster and said, hey, would you uh, would you announce that I have a house for sale, or for not for sale, for rent? He's got to have, if you're in the Denver, Colorado area and you need a house for rent, there's one over on Kenyon Avenue in Denver here. I'll put up the, uh, for the guys over there in, 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 in the zap stream, I'll put up the note or from Zillow. It is, yeah, it's pricey. I mean, but if you live in Denver, you, this may be completely in your ballpark. I don't know. I don't, I don't live in Denver, Colorado, but 3,100 bucks a month. Five bedrooms, three bathrooms, 2,193 square feet. It becomes available November the 15th. It's a single family residence and it's a standalone house. So it's not part of a duplex or anything that I can tell. It has central air. It's got forced air for heating. It allows cats and dogs. It's got an detached garage and it's got laundry hookups. Yeehaw, yeehaw. So again, if you are in need of a place to live, you know, and you need five bedrooms and you need three bathrooms and you're totally okay with 3,100 bucks a month for 2,193 square feet in Denver, Colorado, then please, please, please get a hold of my boy. Oh, shit. I can't remember who my boy is. That is a bad host. That's such a, I'm such a terrible host. Oh my God. Let's see if I can't uh, rectify this situation. Hold on for one minute here. Uh, do, 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 no, 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 no. There we go. There we go. Get back over here. Get into my notifications on Noster. Blah, blah, blah. Let's see if I can find them. Do, 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 do. Just a minute, guys. Just a minute. I believe this is Noster Eggs. Noster Eggs has got this house in Denver, Colorado. And, uh, it, he, he's trying to get out of this. Well, he's not trying to get out of this house he wants to not sell his house. He wants to keep the house while he moves somewhere else. And I think that that's actually a, a I think that fine, from a financial standpoint, don't walk away from capital ever. Don't ever do it. I Ask me how I know. I've walked away from capital not once, but twice, right? And it is a terrible idea. If you can at all continue to service the note on your house. Or if you, instead of selling the house that you own, lock, stock, and barrel, if if you do, and I have, I have walked away from a house that I owned with no mortgage, not at all, but it was just not big enough. But instead of finding a good quality property management team to rent that son of a bitch out, I just sold it. And I personally, 
I don't think that that was a high quality financial move. So I kind of applaud this dude for getting a hold. He's like, hey, yeah, there's a guy that will throw it out there. You know, he'll put it out there on his podcast. Uh, I And honestly, I got to say, even if you're kind of like going, my God, dude, how low have you sunk? I'm not actually sinking. I'm trying to help you guys out with your situations in life. And I've got to tell you, when it comes to the decision to either walk away from capital or, you know, and sell it or divulge yourself of living there and rent it out instead so that you have a steady stream of income, I go with the latter. So I have no problem putting this dude's house up uh, in the circle P where the plebs can sell their goods and services on the Bitcoin and podcast. Just remember, you got to give me something for it. Hey, if this shit works, if, if for whatever reason, one of you guys out there rents this house, you make sure that Noster Egg no, Eggs, Noster Eggs knows that you heard it here in the Circle P, and maybe he'll cut me in on some of that sweet, sweet lettuce. Now, because I'm going to convert it right, right to Bitcoin. Actually, if, if I'm lucky, he'll just stream me Satoshi's and say, yeah, it worked. Uh, we're going to stream you some Satoshis or give you like massive boost to grams and we'll make it up on that side. I honestly, it just something. Okay. Now, uh, where, where are we all at? Oh yes. The news got a couple of long ones here to begin. Now, Bitcoin magazine and William E. Stebbins Jr. Jr. Mind you is writing this one. Is El Salvador's orange enlightenment only one liter deep? And before we read this one, understand that I have my reservations about what happens when Bukele leaves. You know, you got a, you got kind of like a, a, a mad scientist, right? Involved in the highest echelon of leadership that El Salvador has. What happens to, I mean, and I don't even, I don't want to talk about legacy in so far that you've got to have a legacy, but will the people still be able to use Bitcoin when, you know, if, and when he, well, when he eventually leaves, because I don't want to see him turn into a straight up banana Republic dictator and just go, I'm your president for life, because that's just another word for dictator. But I, while I don't want to see that happen, how, uh, how sure are we that Bitcoin remains legal tender? You know the WEF and the IMF is going to be putting up like people that they want in power in El Salvador because El Salvador is a lot more important than people think. If for oh, if for only one reason, it's geographical location because it can start a it, it is a ground zero for both northern Latin America as well as the Central American region that they're physically attached to and South America. El Salvador is well positioned to set off a chain reaction of explosions. So you know WEF and IMF and World Bank, you know all of them are just chomping at the bit to get their guy in. So let's let's see what Bill has to say about this out of Bitcoin Magazine. The world is witnessing a miracle unfold in the beautiful country of El Salvador. In just the first four years of President Nayib Bukele's presidency, the smallest Central American country and recurring murder capital of the world, plagued by civil war, endemic corruption, 
and generational poverty not only reformed its justice system and neutered its terrorizing gangs, resulting in unprecedented public safety, a surge in tourism, and foreign investment, but began casting off its neo-colonial yoke, paying its latest bond debt on schedule, and declining further international monetary fund assistance. That's the IMF. Equally impactful for its future, President Bukele defied the U.S.-dominated IMF and declared Bitcoin legal tender. Will his successor be equally committed to the potential of Bitcoin and continuing his work? Further, how will a Bitcoin-flourishing El Salvador protect itself from the globalist empire to the north given its sordid history of CIA interventionism? If Salvadoreños are to fully benefit from the Bitcoin monetary standard, it must become securely anchored in law, safe from an array of political threats or potential threats, domestic and foreign. For El Salvador's Bitcoin revolution to endure, it must transcend not only the administration of but one visionary president. On September the 7th, Bitcoin Day, Salvadoreños, not only celebrated their second year of Bitcoin joining the USD as legal tender, but they celebrated the visionary leader who made it possible. Upon winning the presidency in 2019, Nayib Bukele could have taken the road oft traveled by his corrupt predecessors, to wit, continue to pursue IMF loans with their subjugating strings and wildly enrich himself while saddling his impoverished, gang-exploited citizenry with the banker's bill. Such has been the recurring pattern. Instead, in an act of political selflessness and temerity rarely seen today, he rejected the self-enriching path of his predecessors. He pushed back against Washington and its coercive institutions, demonstrating a morally principled leadership focused solely on his citizens' welfare. Refusing to obediently align with the strictures of the Washington-dominated International Commission against impunity in El Salvador, he terminated involvement in the group, purged the endemically corrupt justice system, and installed trusted officials which had been curiously blacklisted by the United States. Next, triggered by a spike of 92 homicides over three days in March of 2022, and with the justice apparatus now presciently reformed, he declared a state of emergency, launching an operation which imprisoned over 65,000 known and suspected gangsters. With astonishing speed, the nation morphed from murder capital of the world to a level of security comparable with most and lower than some European nations. As a result, tourism exploded and foreign investors materialized, most notably Google Cloud, which signed a multi-year agreement in August bringing Google-distributed cloud services to the nation. Against IMF admonition, El Salvador adopted Bitcoin as legal tender alongside the U.S. dollar subsequently, and against all predictions, in January of this year, it repaid an $800 million bond on time. Despite the benefits quickly accruing to the Salvadoran citizenry, such brazen acts of sovereignty by a non-compliant, quote, third world vassal was ill-received by Washington. Backlash was swift. Global propaganda organs initiated Bukele smear campaigns, raising suspicions of corruption, gangster collusion, human rights violations, and the suspension of due process. The allegations fell on deaf ears, especially so coming from an arrogant, 
militarily intrusive empire led by a geriatric elite burdened with its own staggering national debt, exploding urban crime rates, two-tier justice systems, and a torrentially growing mountain of evidence suggesting influence peddling and foreign bribery at the very highest levels. El Salvador, having too long played Washington's game, has remained generationally impoverished subjected to a long U.S.-facilitated civil war, terrorized by gangs and betrayed by its own quislings. This tragic generational suffering, however, wasn't for naught. It served to hone their discernment. They observed how unrestricted ex nihilo creation of a unilaterally imposed world reserve currency mothered an imperial war machine that grew ever stronger, expansionistic, and indifferent to the sovereignty of less powerful nations. They witnessed their own leaders endlessly fornicating with Washington, selling out their own people into American vassalage. As such, their suffering prepared them for the Bitcoin opportunity Bukele offered. As he emphasized repeatedly in his address to the United Nations General Assembly in September, El Salvador's turning point was resolving to finally exercise their own sovereignty and decline following American protocols for vassal states, ignoring unsolicited warnings, counterfactual criticisms, and the self-righteous angst of those who would rule the world, they dared to break the repeating cycle of financial oppression and entrenched gang violence. And as a result, in record time, Bukele demonstrated just how quickly a failing state could be resuscitated when legitimately elected leaders actually served their people. Bukele and Bitcoin have given El Salvador a rare opportunity for improving their national paradigm, but the future is tenuous. To succeed, four internal and three external potential threats must be considered. The internal threats. Number one, Bitcoin volatility. Upon adopting Bitcoin, the conversion rate was one Bitcoin to $46,800. At the time of writing, it has dropped 57% to $28,000. Two, the Bitcoin-initiated volatility is expected and of little concern. However, to the neophyte, the volatility of bear markets could breed distrust and rejection, creating dissatisfied space for a political contender to exploit and ultimately scuttle the Bitcoin project. And number two, political parasites in waiting. It is so naive to think that political aspirants aren't lurking in the wings, ready to accept Washington patronage and to do its bidding. How will El Salvador protect itself from a future U.S.-empowered puppet of weak moral fiber willing to regress the nation back into approved vassalage? Number three, the Salvadoran swamp. Equally naive is the assumption that Bukele's reforms might have neutralized all former corrupt power networks, from politicians to business leaders to gang facilitators, some of whom likely desire a return to previous, more profitable arrangements. Number four, gangster catch and release. Will the majority of confirmed gangsters remain incarcerated commensurate with crimes committed, or will large numbers come to find amnesty, pardon, and public release? Further, if economic conditions fail to quickly improve, thus eliminating the key conditions that birthed the rise of gangs in the first place, El Salvador could regress into chaos as quickly as it ascended out of it. Further still, 
It will be instructive to track the disposition of Salvadoran gangsters imprisoned in the United States as seripitous release and repatriation by a jilted superpower could undermine Bukele's security gains. One or more of the above potentialities could hasten a clear deterioration of security, resulting in widespread panic, political exploitation, and a throttling of foreign investment in the cradle. El Salvador must be prepared for the emergence of these external threats to its national projects. These are the external threats. Number one, first and foremost, United States interference. Small nation states like El Salvador who ditch Washington's script and forge their own sovereign path, in this case going all in for Bitcoin in an effort to eventually liberate from IMF and World Bank bondage, have cause to be wary of superpower responses. To the degree that Bitcoin states prosper and demonstrates the superiority of hard money, legacy fiat addicts will be shamed. Their system's instability will be exposed, and they will want to remove the thorn from the side lest others begin following suit, like the Central African Republic last year. El Salvador's Bitcoin journey has potential to provide a compelling countermodel to the globalist fiat narrative, and as such, Bitcoin states the need to be geopolitically savvy in contemplating comprehensive physical security from superpowers with histories of foreign meddling, including the instigation of coups, proxy wars, and regional conflicts. Salvadoreños remember the 1954 United States-backed coup in Guatemala, which deposed elected President Jacobo Albenz and installed a military dictator. They remembered Chile's President Allende's ouster in 1973. They vividly recall U.S. involvement in their own civil war from 1979 to 1992, They remember U.S. interference in their 2004 presidential election, which saw the installment of Tony Saka, currently imprisoned for corruption, who was one of the few Latin American leaders to participate in Operation Iraqi Freedom, sending 10 rotations of soldiers to Iraq. Most recently, they watched as Peruvian President Pedro Castillo was sacked in a coup and imprisoned without trial a day after ex-CIA agents turned U.S. ambassador to Peru, Lisa Kinna, met with the Peruvian defense minister in December of last year. Curiously, the defense minister, Gustavo Rosas, a retired brigadier general, had been appointed to his post only a day prior to his meeting with Kenna. Interestingly, in light of U.S. allegations that Bukele had suspended due process for gangsters, the United States appears unconcerned that Castillo's pretrial detention was recently doubled from 18 to 36 months. Indeed, Salvadoreños can point to several U.S. unaligned Central and South American leaders who have met abnormally shortened terms in office. Number two, military ties with the U.S. Now, in, in this regard, One should note that El Salvador has periodically participated in military officer exchanges with the U.S. Last April, the Chief of Joint Joint Staff of the Salvadoran Armed Forces, Lieutenant General Carlos Alberto Tajeda Murcia, was inducted in abstention into the International Hall of Fame at the Command and General Staff College in Fort Leavenworth. 
Since 1990, or no, 1894, over 8,000 foreign officers have graduated from the military college. The purpose of these martial partnerships is to forge personal ties with future potential international leaders. A nation defying Washington by exercising its own sovereignty might be wise to abstain from such partnerships and be wary of previous participants within its ranks, both active and retired. Number three, as you might imagine, banking. Of the 12 commercial banks in El Salvador, two are state and 10 are private. As I mentioned in a previous article, a viable threat to the Bitcoin ecosystem would be an attempt to cut re-entry rails back into the fiat system. Until such time as an economy is Bitcoin independent, there will be many instances where Bitcoin hodlers will need to convert portions of their stack to transact in local currencies. If the rails that permit such conversions to occur are blocked, Bitcoin becomes cyber-isolated. In this regard, who owns the banks in El Salvador and could they be externally influenced and weaponized against Bitcoin activity? More pointedly, if a fiat superpower disgruntled at a small nation's Bitcoin adoption, either unilaterally or in conjunction with its global allies, had influence over a number of El Salvadoran banks, they could potentially hinder fiat reentry rails stranding Salvadoran Bitcoin wealth in cyberspace. Anticipating one or more of these potential threats, a number of preemptive tactics emerge. In other words, solutions and opportunities. Number one would be education, always education. First and foremost, education is essential. People need to understand the critical issues in order to make informed national decisions. They need to understand their history to include root causes of their recurring poverty, foreign suppression, and gang emergence. Second, they need a sound foundation in monetary basics. Finally, upon understanding what money is, they will then be prepared to more fully understand the promise of Bitcoin. And encouragingly, El Salvador's Ministry of Education has recognized this need and has already begun incorporating Bitcoin into the public school curriculum. In addition to educating the younger generation, a complementary and equally vital initiative would be a proliferation of workshops, classes, and free online coursewares nationwide to all segments of Salvadoran society. Number two, information Operations. Global propaganda has already started casting aspirations on President Bukele and his policies. In the information domain, one can't be passive. El Salvador needs to not only counterpunch, but to inundate the infosphere with its own uncentered programming to ensure its own citizenry can compare and contrast fiat misinformation with alternative sound ideas. Such an initiative would be wide-ranging, including nationwide internet assurances, the protection of free speech and content creation, and public service Bitcoin news and educational programming. Number three, constitutionalizing Bitcoin. In order to institutionalize Bitcoin into the fabric of Salvadoran governance and economy, ensuring it transcends presidential administrations, Certain changes to El Salvador's constitution might be considered, as voting corruption has become a preferred weapon of mass disenfranchisement from four corrupt regimes, enabling them to gain and retain power. Then El Salvador must consider effective safeguards against this threat. To protect against fraudulent elections, the nation might consider blockchain-verified voting as the law of the land. 
Further, in the realm of federal monetary activity, much as the launch of nuclear weapons requires multiple trusted parties following strict procedures, so too foolproof multi-party protocols must be established to ensure that national Bitcoin holdings cannot be stolen. Number four, Bitcoin-friendly economy. As the U.S. and much of the world seems to be consolidating power among hyper-affluent ruling elites while simultaneously diminishing citizen freedom, wealth, and self-determination, El Salvador has unprecedented global potential to become a sanctuary and hub for Bitcoin innovation. While the aforementioned jurisdictions throttle Bitcoin innovation and threaten to hold technological entrepreneurs liable for perceived malpractices, El Salvador could provide a welcoming home for persecuted technologists, innovators, and entrepreneurs, establishing a hospitable environment in the freedom technology space free of state persecution could unleash a powerful catalyst for the nation's economy. It could be a win-win, providing El Salvador with a sustainable, internally resourced Bitcoin ecosystem into which new Bitcoin emergent nations and actors could plug into. One could imagine forward-thinking innovation entities like SpaceX, and talking about, yeah, Elon stuff, chip design and manufacturing firms, AI, blockchain technologists, and miners flocking to the land of volcanoes as their international sanctuary of choice, contributing their skills and gifts to further enrich, empower, and safeguard a nation that is actually protecting and honoring citizen sovereignty. Number five, international city partnerships. Despite the antagonistic stance that the federal government of the United States is taking towards Bitcoin and El Salvador, yet there exists a multiplicity of smaller Bitcoin-friendly jurisdictions. Salvadoran cities could bypass the federal colossus and instead seek partnerships with like-minded pro-Bitcoin U.S. cities and beyond, forming strong bonds of cultural exchange, trade, educational partnerships, and wide-ranging symbiotic collaboration. The strength of such partnerships could serve as a powerful counterweight and insurance policy against aggressive U.S. federal action directed at El Salvador. Number six, internally professionalized security forces. Finally, to guard against the possibility of internal treason and foreign instigated juntas, El Salvador should consider terminating military officer partnerships with the United States and European militaries, recognizing that the purpose of those programs is for more powerful states to nurture influential ties with potential future leaders of weaker countries. They hope to develop relationships with future power brokers who might be leveraged during future ex- exigencies. Ex- exigencies? I can't pronounce it. El Salvador's security requirements are self-defensive. America, with its propensity for and losing track record of global expeditionary campaigns financed by an inconceivably large fiat budget, has little in common with and little to offer a nation solely concerned with defending against unprovoked external aggressions. As such, it would be wise to preemptively inhibit the potential grooming of future Salvadoranos officers into U.S. affinities. An El Salvador that has become a global leader in technological innovation, resourced by Bitcoin wealth, could achieve effective defensive capability without having to send its officers abroad for training. Could El Salvador represent the vanguard of an alternative international system? 
a Bitcoin world order that respects the sovereignty and self-determination of individual nations and their constituent citizenry. One could imagine a growing federation of such Bitcoin states united in trade and mutual defense. In conclusion, the orange experiment in El Salvador is far from over. It is premature to declare victory. Bitcoin's freedom technology has offered Salvadoreños an opportunity to break the cycle of traitorous leadership, institutionalized corruption, generational poverty, endemic violence, and Western fiat vassalship. Will they make good on this opportunity? By addressing the threats logically and lucidly, they will fortify their odds of success. All right, that's the article. And it's taken up a good, you know, a good chunk of the first half of the show. So I'm probably not going to do this second article because it is also very, very long. It's the postmortem on the lightning replacement cycling attack. Now, while that's important, I got it. I have to admit to myself and to the listeners out there, it's not as important as what's going on in El Salvador. A Shinobi's already, you know, made it very clear that this is. This is not an attack that's easy to execute. It's not like any Tom, Dick, or Harry is going to be able to do this shit. So let's let's refocus back on what's going on in El Salvador. Because this shit has always concerned me. Yeah, you, know, you got President Bukele. Whether you like him or hate him or just completely neutral on him is, is not the point. The point is what he's actually done. Okay, well, you know, dictatorial dictats aside, because he's kind of done that a little bit. Uh, he has cleaned up the country quite a bit. and So let's just assume that Bukele truly is a guy that's got his heart in the right place for the citizenry of El Salvador. Let's just make that assumption so that we can be clean with the rest of, of what I'm about to say. Unless he cl- flat declares himself dictator and has complete control over the El Salvadoran ministry, he is going to go away. And that's what this entire article is about. What are the existential and internal threats to El Salvador moving forward in the days after Bukele? And I've always worried about what happens. I said it before we started reading it, and I'll say it again here after we've read it. If you think that there is not a host of the most evil scumbaggery waiting in the wings to reverse everything that Bukele has done. And let's not even consider reversing the whole Bitcoin thing. Let's let's make an assumption right here and now that Bitcoin isn't even a thing, like it never happened. Just what he's done for the citizenry of El Salvador where it comes to the gangs and the crime. That could flood back. Why? Because gangs and crime is the unspoken force of nature that governments use to instill fear in the citizenry that makes the citizenry easier to control. That's what that is. That's what it's always been. I mean, you, whether you're pointing at the Italian mafia in Italy or as it came over to the United States in the early, you know, late 1800s, early 1900s. It doesn't matter. It's the same. The motherfuckers at the Justice Department of the United States knew that what was going on. It's not like they couldn't have done something about it, but they didn't. 
did they? No, it's all bullshit. See, the the lies, this is what I love about Bitcoin, is the lies that Bitcoin makes plain from today all the way through history and what people are talking about doing tomorrow. Now, now that I see it, I will never be able to unfucking see it. Everything is a lie. Do you really think that organized crime isn't able to be staunched like a son of a bitch by somebody in power who actually wants it to be staunched? Of course it is. You can do away with all of this shit. You can arm your citizenry and say, if you kill someone, you better be able to prove that this son of a bitch was involved in organized crime. And if you can, you go free. And that way you've got an armed citizenry that is just done putting up with bullshit. Now, beyond that, you've got organized paramilitary and full military people walking around that are well-trained, trained a hell of a lot better than the citizenry. You think that they can't identify what's going on? Bullshit, of course. They know who's doing what. So does the citizenry. Grandma knows if the dude across the street is selling shit out of their house. People aren't stupid. They never were. What What they are is fearful. And they're fearful because the unwritten law of all these people that that seek to control everything they see is that it's easier to control fearful people than it is strong, sovereign people. And what is the way to do that without actually going into the streets with your own military, doing the mean shit to your citizenry that needs to be done to make them fearful? You use gangs. They're organized. They have a hierarchical structure. Orders can be passed down the line. And all you've got to be able to do is talk to two or three of them. And that's easy to conceal. So all this shit has the potential of going away. Again, forget about Bitcoin existing in El Salvador. Just the crime alone. The organized crime. That could come back like a wave. Am I suggesting that that Bukele be put in as dictator and quote-unquote president for life? Well, no, not really. Would I cry if he was? Probably not. Would I cry if that, if it turned out that he was just as much of an asshole as everybody else? Yeah, definitely. I don't know what's going to happen. I'm not El Salvadoran. I don't, I don't kind of, I mean, I kind of got a dog in the hunt, but only as so far as it concerns Bitcoin. As far as living there, having to survive what these people have had to survive, I have literally nothing to say. I have no right to say it even if I did. All I can hope is that the citizenry of El Salvador become two things at least. Educated, not just about Bitcoin, but about everything that I just said. These gangs, they're known, and they're used by the government to control them. And two, to promise themselves and each other as citizens that they, no matter what happens to Bukele and beyond, that they are never going to let this shit back into their lives. If those two things can happen, then it kind of doesn't matter who comes next. 
What I do hope is that Bukele wins the second term to at least give these people some time to have clarity, to see their future, to experience what it's like not having to trod through that manner of bullshit. Because once they get used to it, they'll never want to let it go. And they will be able to identify what the fuck has been going on for them for decades. Now, let's let's run the numbers. CNBC Futures and Commodities. I got Earl is actually up a little bit today. 0.69% to the upside for West Texas Intermediate. $84.32. That's after it's been kind of plummeting over the last couple of days. And likewise, Brent Norsey is up almost a full point to $88.92 because it has also been falling. We'll talk about that here in a second. Uh, natural gas is up a third of a point to $2.98 per thousand cubic feet. And gasoline is down 0.18%, uh, $2.26 uh, per gallon. Wow, that's cool. Now, oil. Why, is it, why was it going up and then it started coming down? Well, because, you know, Hamas attacked Israel on the 7th of October, I guess it was. And then all of a sudden you see it because the oil had been coming down because, you know, inventories were up and people were, you know, we were getting reports that usage was down, which was, you know, an indicator that the economies around the world weren't doing very well and blah, 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 blah. Well, then all of a sudden this little ragtag group decides to get their panties in a snit about Israel. Well, actually, they've always had their panties in a snit, let's be honest. But then they decide to actually cross the border in mass and do a whole bunch of stuff. Well, now oil started going up because they were automatically, the oil traders and all these guys were automatically contemplating what happens if uh, Iran is brought into this entire thing. Now oil is going down because why? The United States is begging Israel to not invade Gaza in a ground assault. Why would the United States give a shit? Well, they're saying it's like humanitarian, but that's not it. They don't need high oil prices going into an election year. That's what it's about. It's the same thing as the idea of we're fighting crime when what you're really doing is using crime to make people fearful. In this particular case, you're using quote-unquote humanitarian issues and trying to get Israel to not go kill all those guys in Gaza because you don't want high oil prices. You don't give a shit about the people in Gaza. Let's be very fucking clear about that. Oil is being pressured down because the United States doesn't want high oil prices because they want their boy, the guy that can barely find the bathroom, form sentences and is clearly a pedophile to be president again. I mean, the guy, I mean, whether you like Biden or hate Biden or again, neutral on Biden doesn't really matter. You got to look at his actions. He's corrupt. His son's corrupt. Everybody in his administration is corrupt. And it wouldn't even matter if Bush came back. He's corrupt too. The whole thing is corrupt. And this hiding behind all the poor people in Gaza, you don't care because you don't want high oil prices because it's going to make you look bad. And then you're going to have to deplete even more of the strategic oil reserves. Yeah, all of this is a bad look for the current administration and Washington, D.C. in general and the European Union in general, by the way. 
So that's what's going on with oil. If you wanted to know why it's going up and then it came back down, that's why. Gold is up a third of a point. 1992 and 10 cents. Silver is down a half. Platinum is up 2.7%. Copper is down two thirds. Platinum is up one and a third point. Lumber is one of the only winners today. It's up a quarter of a point, but the biggest winner is cotton, 1.15% to the upside. Everything else is red and coffee. Coffee came down three and three quarters points. We've got what? Live cattle. 0.76% 0.76% to the upside. Lean hogs, 1.85% to the upside. And feeder cattle, one and a quarter to the up. Everything in the indices, legacy financial markets are having a bad day. Dow is the least effective. 0.07% to the downside. S&P, 1.05% to the downside. NASDAQ, 1.79% to the down. And S&P mini, yep, red, 1.19%. Bonds, yep, the yields, they all went up. This is why the Dow is having problems because now the 30-year bond is back over 5% to 5.06%. That was after a 100 BPS move to the upside. They cannot get the bonds under control. 20-year bond chilling out at 5.25%, 5.26 to be exact. See where this goes? But the dollar... Dollar gaining some ground today, 0.11% to the upside. 106.39 is the ICE US dollar index, otherwise known as the DXY. Bitcoin also having some interesting days. Yes, I know that I should have probably brought it up at the first of the show. Uh, God candles, in my opinion, not quite. But close. Still, though, I'm not going to bitch at $34,917. Holy shit. Uh, (laughs) 0.95 BTC is your average transaction value. Median transaction value is $263. Block time slightly low, 9 minutes and 40 seconds. I got 0.31 BTC taken in fees on a per block basis. And holy moly. 46.33 46.33 BTC taken in fees overall in the last 24 hour period. And with a 13.74% dump in hash rate, we are down to 406 exahashes per second. Your shitcoin indicator, Dogecoin, is 6.8 United States pennies. Why? Well, because Doge is following like all the rest of the shitcoin does. Yeah, they follow Bitcoin. Because people still haven't learned. However, 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 if you look at a chart of ETH versus Bitcoin, what you're going to find is a hilarious downtrend in ETH. It is nothing but loss for ETH holders when you compare what they could do if they had just bought Bitcoin and held Bitcoin but most of them probably will never learn. $673.8 billion is market cap of Bitcoin today. That is now broken out past 5% to 5.1% of gold's market cap. You may now purchase 17.7 ounces of shiny metal rocks with your one Bitcoin, of which there are 
19,523,499 and a quarter of and 5,223 of those are in the Lightning Network now valued at $180.5 million being run over 14,668 nodes and 62,891 payment channels are present. 83.3% of all of this is running over Tor. Mempools are getting a little full. Yes, they are. Uh, 119 blocks carrying 52,000 transactions waiting to clear. Uh, high priority transactions going to cost you 39 Satoshis per V-byte. Low priorities are 36. And anything under 2.41 Satoshi per V-byte are going to be purged from mempools around the world. I'm still in the top 10, but I think I'm actually number 10 or maybe by this time number 11. And I can't help but to note, even though I did not get this boost because it was, I guess it was just too hot for my lightning node to handle, but Pitar tried to give me 50,000 Satoshis. Thank you, dude. He says, is this thing on? Nope. No, Pitar. It wasn't. And Fatoshi says, boom, for that one. Uh, Nat Gassimers. Wait, hold on. Nat Gas Immersion. Nat Gas Immersion. 10,500 sats. Thank you, brother. Keep the great content coming. I will try. Wartime Psycho with a row of threes. 3333 33 says cheers. And Jen in Indy with a thousand says please to more suit speak. I will try. Hopefully we'll get to some suit speak here in a minute. I've got some some lawyer stuff coming up. We'll we'll try it there. Axelrod with a thousand says, thank you for the suit speak bit. <laughs> Lol. Great podcast. You're the true voice of the Bitcoin community. Oh, true voice of the Bitcoin community. Wow, that's that's heavy honors, dude. Thanks, Axelrod. Hope you get the success you deserve. Oh man, see, I love people like this guy. I mean, that's a nice thing to say. That's a Noster is having the best effect on people I could have ever wished for, even if it isn't utilized and nobody wants it. And, and it's, it's already dead before it's even born and all that shit that I have to deal with. It is the greatest space I've ever seen. Everybody is just trying to be filled with love and it's working. Thank you, Axelrod. I appreciate the sentiment. Stacy with 500. Says, great show. God's Death with 370 says, thank you, sir. And that accent was spot on at 2x speed. Thank you, sir, from Pies. No, thank you, brother. Uh, 250 and uh, Wartime Psycho response says, thank you. And Fatoshi says, no, thank you. User with some numbers, uh, row of, short row of sticks says, in the morning and keep up the good work. Oh, that means he listens to no agenda. O2X or no, O2ZX with 100 says, top of the morning to you and to you, sir, too. And same guy with another 100 says, I wonder if there will be rampant biometric theft in the near future. I feel much safer with random passwords that can be changed without it being linked to my corpus. The answer to your question is yes. The answer is yes. That's why nobody should be doing this shit. That's why don't use biometric stuff. Don't use it. Unless you're going to get shit canned from your job that you depend on for all of your money forever and a day and they force you to do biometry, well, then you're probably going to have to do it unless you can figure out a way to jump to another job that doesn't offer that before they can your ass. I saw a guy. I was talking to an old friend of mine at my old job. We had a guy in our office who one day said he was sick and went to the doctor. He did not, literally, he did not come back to work for three months. 
He drew three full paychecks before they finally got onto him that he was not sick. He had never gone to the doctor. He'd never gave a note to human resources saying this dude is sick and he can't come back to work. Nothing, nothing, nothing. He just told him on the phone that he was sick, never came back for three months until the very last day when he came in to get all the shit because they finally figured out a way to fire his ass. That's how long some of this crap can take. So if you, if they're going to force biometry on you, get out, get out, get out, but make sure you've got a landing spot before you get out. I am not going to take the blame of you losing your job because you didn't have another job lined up. Ask me how I know how bad that fucking feels. That fe- it, I've, I've done it. It's not pleasant. You want to have a place to land if you've got to leave your job. But biometry, if at all possible, stay away from it. That's going to do it for the weather report. Welcome to part two of the news that you can use. Kid Warp with 2.1 thousand Satoshis. Thank you for the zap, Kid Warp. I, I I appreciate not only you being here, but exchanging your value for what you find as valuable. Now, I'm going to try to keep in mind that you guys like the countrified suit speak. We'll do it. We'll probably be able to do it in this one because it's entitled. Sam Bankman Fried will take the stand in his own defense. And before I even begin... I cannot tell you what a bad idea this is. There's almost no set of lawyers in the history of lawyering that will ever actually want to put their own guy on the stand. It is a dangerous maneuver. They can get ripped to shreds on cross-examination. And the defense has no control over the prosecution And the prosecution gets to ask questions to whoever sits in that chair. Can you imagine this weeble sitting in this chair and not screwing this up on cross? I don't think so. This is a Hail Mary because I think they know that they're losing. FTX founder Sam Bankman-Fried has decided to testify in his own criminal trial, a direct appeal to jurors in his bid to prove that he did not commit fraud nor conspire to commit fraud at his once giant cryptocurrency exchange. Bankman-Fried has a history of expressing his views, especially after the collapse of FTX. He gave interviews to reporters, started a Substack newsletter, and posted a number of tweets trying to explain his exchange's downfall in the weeks after the company filed for bankruptcy. Bankman-Fried went so far as to go on a media tour to make his case that he was innocent. But FTX insiders have, during the trial, painted a very different picture. Bankman-Fried, they have testified, was pulling the strings of the alleged fraud at the crypto exchange. The defense team also said during the Wednesday teleconference that they planned to call just a handful of witnesses alongside Bankman-Fried, including financial services expert Joseph Pimbley, who works at PF2 Securities, to testify in Bankman-Fried's favor. A Bahamas lawyer may also testify, lead defense attorney Mark Cohen said. The prosecution expects to finish calling witnesses within an hour of Thursday's court session beginning after calling just one more witness, FBI agent Mark Toriano, Assistant U.S. Attorney Nicholas Ruse said during the teleconference, the move comes as Bankman-Fried's defense prepares to begin calling witnesses 
after prosecutors spent three weeks laying out their argument that he defrauded FTX's customers and Alameda Research's investors and conspired with his fellow executives to hide his crimes and continue misusing those funds. Those executives, including Caroline Ellison, Nishad Singh, and Gary Wang, testified against him after pleading guilty to various crimes of their own, with the defense mostly mounting seemingly unimpressive cross-examinations in their bid to sow doubt about the strength of the witness's testimony. In a separate filing on Wednesday, the defense attorney sought permission to introduce evidence that Singh and Wang had been inconsistent in how they described their conversations with investigators prior to getting on the stand. Now, Bankman Fried is going to describe his version of events to the 12 jurors and six alternates who will be asked to decide if he's guilty beyond a reasonable doubt. While the United States Department of Justice must prove that Bankman Fried actually met the statutory requirements of the different crimes he's accused of beyond a reasonable doubt, the defense only has to prove Bankman Fried not guilty to that standard. Hmm, interesting. And sadly, there's not a single statement from a single lawyer anywhere. I was wrong. I was a bad host. Bad. I was wrong. I was totally wrong. All right. So, again, this is a terrible idea. And it's not going to end well. It's just it's just not going to end well. Now, some of you may have seen this thing about BlackRock, and I honestly think it's it's FUD. I honestly do. But there's there's two things here. Let me make sure that I've got that I've got both of them. Okay. First, there was a headline. SEC is in trouble with the United States, you know, SEC. Or I mean, I'm sorry, BlackRock is in trouble with the SEC. That came out yesterday. The headline didn't actually say that this whole thing has already been put to bed. I'm not defending BlackRock. I'm just trying to do a little bit of media deconstruction. The way the headline read when it was started to spill out over Noster was that the SEC was was really bad at, at BlackRock. And everybody's hopes is pinned on the BlackRock Bitcoin spot ETF, right? Right? Because it's making the price go high. Yeah. Well, okay, fine. I don't necessarily, again, don't necessarily need a Bitcoin spot ETF because I can just buy Bitcoin. But be that as it may, a lot of people want it. The United States is trying to figure out ways through FinCEN and other, other items, a way to completely disgorge anybody from wanting Bitcoin ever, and it doesn't seem to be working. So now, so a whole bunch of FUD came out yesterday with headlines that basically said that BlackRock's in trouble with the SEC, but they didn't say the following. The SEC has fined BlackRock $2.5 million, with an M, dollars. As the Bitcoin ETF review awaits, Matt DeSalvo, Decrypt.co, the United States Securities and Exchange Commission today settled charges against BlackRock for failing to accurately describe investments in the entertainment industry, with the Wall Street giant agreeing to pay a $2.5 million fine. There's no reason to go into any of the rest of this. This is the difference between the headline and the actual facts of the story. And this happens to us all the time. It doesn't matter if they're talking about BlackRock or the Bitcoin ETF. They could very well be talking about Hunter Biden or George W. Bush. It doesn't matter. 
the headline is always a lie. The truth is somewhere in the story. And the truth here was that this is this was literally procedural for the SEC. A $2.5 million fine for somebody like BlackRock isn't even a Kleenex. Right? As part of their as part of their financial wardrobe, it's not even a snot rag for these guys. They don't fucking care. The SEC, 2.5 isn't even anything for them either. It's that's like payroll for a quarter of of their people for a month is nothing it was this was purely procedural and yet people were pushing it out on Noster like oh my god we're never going to get the bitcoin it's this spot etf and it no no you know it doesn't matter whether you like the etf you hate the etf this mind screwing of the united states and actually honestly the entire world's population because the difference between the headline and what actually happened are so far removed from each other that it's not even funny. And it doesn't, I could write a story about some dude that, that fell out of his boat fishing. And by the time an editor got finished with it, you'd think that the guy had strapped a nuclear bomb to his back and blown up all 15 families that were at this fishing hole when that's not what happened at all. So please, please, please understand that as we go into this next one. Bitcoin wobbles as BlackRock ETF has been removed from the DTCC list. Do you even know what the DTCC is? Have you even heard about it before? Because I'm going to give you, I'm going to let you in on a little secret. I've never heard of the DTCC. Never fucking heard of it. Have no clue what it is. I have no idea how it relates to an ETF. I don't know what its job is supposed to do. I have no fucking idea what this thing is. And yet, all of a sudden, everybody's like, oh my God, oh my God, we're not going to get the spot Bitcoin ETF ever. It's just Bitcoin's going to die. And yet, nobody is admitting to themselves that they've never heard of the DTCC. I've been in this space since 2015. Nobody ever has ever, 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 ever brought up the DTCC to me. Let's find out it, Find out if Andrew Thurvalis can, I don't know, throw some light on this particular shadow of horror. The Depository Trust and Clearing Corporation, again, that's the DTCC, of which I've never heard of, has removed... BlackRock's Bitcoin ETF, the IBTC, from its ETF list after adding the ticker on Monday. Oh, so what? Like, so yesterday. Okay. Bitcoin's price fell shortly after news of the removal broke out, dropping from 34527 to 33432 over the next 30 minutes. My God, it's 3% drop, yo. And now trades at 33000 895, according to CoinGecko. Quote, I'm guessing the SEC made a call to BlackRock, predicted Bloomberg ETF analyst James Seifert in response to the removal. The DTCC did not immediately respond to a request for a comment. BlackRock responded, however, but it declined to comment on the matter since they are, quote, still within the SEC filing restriction period. Quote, my guess is that they were told to 
or want to wait until they are days, not weeks or months away, added Bloomberg's Eric Balchunas. As I said yesterday, it was surprising to see it on there. Yes, he was actually referring to the fact that the ticker got onto the list of DTCC in the first place. Now, clarity, maybe. The DTCC provides settlement and clearing services for financial markets such as the NASDAQ. According to Balchunas, being listed on the DTCC is standard procedure for bringing an ETF to market, but typically occurs within a week of the fund actually beginning to trade. BlackRock's brief showcase on the company's site yesterday helped fuel a wave of growing excitement about an imminent spot Bitcoin ETF approval on Monday, a project or a product yet to reach U.S. investors. Bitcoin's price surged yesterday to a yearly high of $35,000. Hmm. Hmm. Interesting. The Securities and Exchange Commission also received its official order to review Grayscale's Bitcoin ETF application on Monday. Analysts have posited that the SEC may have run out of reasons to reject it. However, the SEC's public comment period for the suitability of BlackRock and other Bitcoin ETF applicants is still live. Quote, November the 8th is the last deadline and usually comments are reviewed for a while, said Bitcoin supportive litigator Joe Carol Arce on the matter. Uh-huh. Okay. Okay. Let's see. Cyborg, how you doing out there in, in, in the chat? I see ya. I see ya. Hold on, let me read this. Uh, ah, he, he's got a comment on this uh, whole BlackRock and $2.5 million SEC settlement. All oh, the world of exaggerated headlines and questionable measurements. It seems like $2.5 million Maybe just another number thrown around to grab attention, much like those flashy clickbaity titles that promise the world but deliver mere amusement. But hey, who am I to judge? Sometimes a good joke or an outrageous headline can brighten up our day and give us a little chuckle. Just remember to take everything with a pinch of salt and keep those skeptical thinking hats on. Stay amused, my friend. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, see, he's got it. Cyborg understands. You know, and I'm sure Kid Warp and DeFi Yogi understand too. I they're in the they're in the chat. I don't have very many people in the in the streams, but I kind of have just started streaming. But I know you guys that have been listening to me for years, you guys know it too. But it's unless we tell all of our friends, it, it we're not helping. We have to, I I I now tell my, you know, tell my loved ones on a daily basis, do not believe anything that you hear. It's not true. And it hasn't been since before we were born. And I've been alive a while. My father and my mother were lied to. I guarantee you my grandma and my grandpa were lied to as well. It's just that the lies are getting worse and they're becoming more far reaching and they're frequency is increasing it's beyond the pale nobody's ever seen anything like this before even the people that are in control the upper echelons of governments around the world that seek to control you and everything that you do they've never seen anything like this they're forced into it they are forced their hand is forced by their own terrible actions of not only themselves but their predecessors and their predecessors' predecessors and their predecessors as well. 
everything is becoming compressed. You see the frequency of bullshit ramping up. You see the lies getting more. If you believe them, you, you, you get screwed up even more and more. So it's, it's the impetus is upon us to go out after this podcast and forever and yawn. Tell as many people who will even think about listening to you that everything you're being told is a lie. If it's from mainstream media or even most of the rest of the media, it's a lie. It's a lie. The, the, you know, oil is the real reason that the Israelis aren't attacking Gaza. Otherwise, they would have just blown through that song, bitch, days ago. And you'll say, oh, well, if they do that, then, then the Hezbollah from the north will attack. Yes, they will. And that means that Iran is squarely in the fucking crosshairs and the United States can only do one thing and that's to attack Iran and they're going to go for their oil infrastructure and that means oil prices go higher even though that they know that that is a death knell for the current administration and then they are looking squarely at Trump 2.0 and they don't want that shit either. I, I, I mean, I'm not, I don't even see why people think that Trump isn't a, a, like a solid team player. I mean, he did some stuff that was different. I'll give him that. But if somebody tries to convince me that he is definitely not part of the swamp, I, 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 no, I, I, I gotta, I gotta see it to believe it. But this entire humanitarian effort, it's all about the humanity as to why Israel isn't walking all up and down Gaza's ass right now is bullshit. It's the oil. The $2.5 million fine isn't going to destroy the Bitcoin ETF, right? The delisting from the DTCC isn't going to destroy the Bitcoin ETF because it never should have been listed in the first fucking place. And that brings up an entire different question now, doesn't it? Why was it put on there? They are weeks away from anything. And if anything is weeks away, it's probably a denial. You you have to resubmit, bro. You don't have to resubmit BlackRock. I kind of don't expect it, but I mean, (laughs) if anything is weeks away, it's either a a straight up approval or denial, but it doesn't matter. They're weeks away. And yet DTCC, a thing that you've never heard of in your entire life, and, and neither have I, I'm not special. All of a sudden there's news stories. Oh my God, it got delisted. It never should have been there in the first place. Is it a trial balloon? Is it one of those things we call a weather balloon? A test to see just what the market will want. Because these guys don't give a shit how they make their money. They do give a shit about control of the money in general. And Bitcoin is definitely a threat to that. But their greed will always override, their greed for straight money will always override their greed for straight power. Because these are the foot soldiers that do it. These aren't the Rothschilds. These aren't the guys in the back that literally they lost their their want for money long ago. The reason they have so much now is because it comes along for the ride with the grab for power. They use it as a commodity. They pay people off. And when they get more and more power, money just comes in. It doesn't matter whether they want it or not. They know that the true world currency is straight up power. It's not fiat money. No. So the foot soldiers that actually go out and pound the pavement and do the dirty work for the guys up in the elite sections of offices, 
they are more monetarily greedy than they are power greedy. So even the guys at BlackRock are like, you know, we may not be able to control Bitcoin, but we sure make a shit ton of money off of it before we figure out how we're going to control Bitcoin. And the news is they're never going to be able to control Bitcoin. I, 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 that's one of the other reasons why I love Bitcoin. People keep playing around with it like they're going to be able to control it, and then they get burned. They get burned badly. Even if they make a shit ton of money off of it, that's where they're going to get burned. Like the like Larry Fink could go, holy shit, I've made a fuck ton of money on this thing. And then all of a sudden, all of a sudden, that black-ass heart, that black-ass morality, that black-ass you know, ethics bullshit, that evil that is causing this black goo to, you know, wash around these people starts to, maybe starts to get destroyed. They come back to humanity. You know, there's been several times they talk about fire being a purification thing and that there's fire purification rituals of the human body. There's burning, there's branding, there's walking across hot coals. There's all kinds of shit. It's all about purification. And, I just think that maybe Bitcoin is the ultimate fire rod, the ultimate stick of dynamite. The one thing that if nothing else had worked on these people to get them back into the good graces of just the universe, if you believe in God, then the good graces of God, if you believe, whatever you want to believe in, because you know they're not acting in a positive manner. Maybe this, this one thing, will be the thing that erodes all of their incompassion, their nonsensical behavior, away to dust, and it blows away upon the wind. I can only hope for that. That's going to do it for the Morning Roundup. All right, before we do a dad says jokes, I do want to uh, hit on this last, this very last thing, which I think is important enough that I, we need to like, you know, we need to talk about this. Zapple Pay has added auto zap subscriptions. This is from nobsbitcoin.com. Auto zaps uses Nostra Wallet Connect to ping your wallet with a zap request on a regular predetermined interval thus providing an easy way to support your favorite Bitcoin projects, content creators, and builders. Quote, with AutoZaps, you can subscribe to anyone on Noster. Anyone. Anyone. You can do it with just their in-pub. We'll get to that. With AutoZaps, you can subscribe to anyone on Noster, and Zapple Pay will send your wallet a pre- or a payment request for the amount you set on the interval you set. If you enable AutoPay in your wallet, you're now paying a subscription to your buddy, as explained in Mutiny's blog. This is all out of Mutiny Wallet. Just be understandable. Quote, it's, it's kind of like Patreon minus several horrible layers of fiat and ceremony. Try it out now for JB55's NPUB. Everyone's AutoZap URL can be found at, check this out. It's the way that they've structured this. And this is why anybody can can do this without setting it up. You don't even have to set up your own. And I can still auto-zap you at, at, at a subscription level without you even knowing about it. And you're going to get the Satoshis because everyone's auto-zap URL can be found at 
zapplepay.com forward slash auto slat or auto zap forward slash inpub. Whatever the inpub is. I can put in JB55's inpub. I can put in my own in. I can I can subscribe to myself if I wanted to, which could bring up some other problems later on, but we won't get into that. But like if I could like if, if Kid Warp wanted to just say, you know what, I'm just gonna auto zap this guy. And uh, you can do it through zapplepay.com forward slash autozap forward slash and then just drop my NPUB after that last forward slash and you're off to the races. You go there and and set and and say, well, you know, set up the schedule. Say one Satoshi uh, every week or every day or every hour or every minute, whatever. It's, again, it's like Patreon without the multiple horrible layers of bullshit to have to go through. So everything here is built on open standards. Any wallet that supports uh, NWC can sign up for AutoZaps. And right now, Mutiny and Albi are your best choices. But we hear more wallets have support in the works. You can also set up NWC Instance, which works with LND, or installed a dedicated NWC app on Umbrella Umbral OS. If you, you or someone you love wants to add support for NWC, the best resource right now is is the NIP 47 spec. Some specifics are still in flux, but the core idea is indeed solid. And it also should be noted that uh, Pablo F7Z is working on his version of pretty much the same thing, or at least that's what he's been hinting at for the couple last couple of days. So if, like for instance, I have a Patreon. You know, I do. And I don't have many subscribers because it, it you've got to put in like your credit card information, to Patreon and use it as a payment method. And it's again, several horrible layers of this shit. And you know, you know, honestly, if you want to, if you want to support the show, podcasting 2.0 is the way to go. You can stream me Satoshi's. You can give me boostograms. And now zapplepay.com forward slash autozap forward slash my is going to let you do the same thing that Patreon does for me. And instead of me having to convert that cash directly over to uh, to Bitcoin, you can just send it to me directly. So it's another way to do it. Uh, there's been a lot, some people on Nostra poo-pooing it, saying it's another form of simping or something like that. And I'm not sure if they were joking. And if you were and you're listening, I, I don't mean to, I'm not trying to badger you. I'm just saying there has been a little bit of pushback of it that I've seen. And I just, I don't get the sentiment, you know, because we all need, you know, especially the content creators, we need help. Not going to lie. Need help. It's, 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 it's a tough business, bro. It's a tough business. Anyway, dad says jokes. It was 10 years ago today that my best friend, James came running out of the room shouting. It's a boy with tears streaming down his face. We've never been back to Thailand. Ah, huh? Huh? If you know what, if you, if you get that joke, well, if you get that joke, you're, we're probably all deranged. Anyway, again, podcasting 2.0 is the way to go. If you want to support the show, now you can do the Zapple pay thing. Just Zapple pay forward slash or dot com forward slash auto zap forward slash my impub. Set it up for like, I don't know, just somebody, somebody like DeFi Yogi, Kid Warp, somebody that's in the, in, in the chat. Just do it for a week and then shit can it if you can, just to see if it actually works. I mean, I guess I could do it to myself, but that just seems, I don't know. It seems like masturbation, but 
in either event. If you guys want to help out, Zapple Pay is another way to do it now. And I will see you all on the other side. This has been Bitcoin and, and I'm your host, David Bennett. I hope you enjoyed today's episode and hope to see you again real soon. Have a great day.